Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. Hey, Ashley. This is uh, weird. I wonder why it's weird. Because I'm being interviewed on my own podcast? (laughs) Well, why don't we just get started then? Okay, I'm going to manage my awkward feelings. (laughs) I am here today with a very special guest. Author and activist, Katie Zay. Katie is an ordained Baptist minister, the CEO of the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, and a member of the Clergy Advocacy Board of Planned Parenthood Federation of America. The Center for American Progress named her one of their top justice-seeking faith leaders to watch. She's written for many outlets, including The Washington Post and Sojourners, and her work has been featured by The Nation, Vice News, Religion News Service, and CNN, among many others. She is the author of Women Rise Up and a new book, A Complicated Choice, Making Space for Grief and Healing in the Pro-Choice Movement. She also happens to be the co-host of this podcast. Katie, welcome to Kindreds. Thank you. (laughs) So I was listening to an episode of Glennon Doyle's podcast, We Can Do Hard Things, earlier this week, and she said we should all have our bios read to us every morning before we get out of bed (laughs) to remind ourselves (laughs) of how badass we are and how much we've accomplished, especially when we're thinking, you know, we haven't really done much or whatever. And I totally agree. So how does it feel to listen to your bio? I don't like it. It's weird. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to do yours next time just to give you a sense of how it feels because I just feel like myself, you know, it's easy to discount those things because I'm like, eh, that thing was a long time ago or whatever. But it is helpful for me to remember the journey of how I got here to this moment of, of getting to release a second book. That is... Not everybody gets to do that, and I'm Mm-mm. really honored and proud of myself, too. You should be. Thank you. Yeah, I'm proud of myself. I've been doing this work for a long time, mm-hmm. even though I still feel young in my career, relatively speaking. So it's awkward in the best possible way to have my bio read like that and by you on our show. Yeah, it is maybe a little weird on our show, but in the best <laughs> possible way. I agree. Yes. <laughs> So before we get started, I want to let our listeners know that A Complicated Choice is now officially available at all the places you can buy books. We recommend bookshop.org to support your local independent bookstores. And if you go to bookshop.org slash shop slash kindreds, you can find it in our bookshop and a small portion of the sale will go to support kindreds. So that's one option. So I have been making my way through it over the past few weeks, and I'm reading slowly because I keep stopping to highlight and make notes and reminders to myself because there's just so much good stuff in there. I think this would make a great book for a discussion group or a Bible study or to buy for someone you know, especially a person of faith in your life who is maybe beginning to form their understanding of abortion or maybe working to deepen their understanding. I really think this is the book for them because it connects so many dots. And for example, can I read a short passage from your opening chapter? Okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. This is what I mean when I say it connects so many dots. Sometimes I imagine Jesus walking by an abortion clinic. He does not join the protesters on the sidewalk. He does not keep walking by. He accompanies patients so that they don't have to go into the clinic alone. 
He speaks words of reassurance as he holds their hands. He gives them a paper cup of ginger ale and a saltine in the recovery room. He offers his loving, compassionate presence throughout it all. Abortion is a deeply personal experience. Every pregnant person who decides to have an abortion does so within a unique set of life circumstances and realities that only they can understand completely. At the same time, threads of connection exist between your personal experience and the lives of many other people for whom abortion is part of their reproductive journeys. As you honor the truth of your personal story, I invite you, if you haven't already, to reflect on how your experience is intertwined within a larger human story of reproductive injustice and oppression, the roots of which are ancient and deep and are entangled with racism, sexism, heterosexism, classism, ableism, and other systems of oppression. So if folks haven't listened to our last episode called Abortions Welcome, I recommend going back and listening to hear some of our thinking around why a more holistic, expansive approach to thinking and talking about abortion is needed, especially now. You recently mentioned to me that this book isn't the one you thought you'd write. Maybe you can talk about what you set out to do and how the process and the book evolved along the way into what it is now. I would love to talk about this because I'm continuing to try to model the truth-telling and transparency in the book and the way that mm. I talk about the book. Mm-hmm. Because I want it to be invitational for people. I don't want people to read this book and think that they've been doing it wrong in terms of how we talk about abortion, but just model Mm. a different kind of way. And so I think talking about how I wrote the book is really important because there's some alignment there. Because honestly, I wasn't even thinking I was going to write a book at all. I wasn't planning to write a book. I had just released Women Rise Up the year before, about a year earlier, and we were in the middle of the pandemic at the time. Mm -hmm. But Sometimes the opportunity just comes when it comes, and I had the opportunity to pitch a book, so I thought, well, let me do it. (laughs) And I wanted to write a book more broadly about reproductive loss, with abortion being a chapter or a section, along with other topics like miscarriage and infertility, because I knew that I wanted to frame abortion within this larger story that it can be a reproductive loss for some people. That is the book that I pitched. My editor came back and said, our team wants you to write the book just about abortion. Oh, (laughs) thanks, team. (laughs) This is what happens in publishing. And to be honest, I don't think I would have felt brave enough to have pitched that book, even though looking back, that is the book that I was supposed to write. But I needed a safer way into it. I was scared. I'm scared that this book is out in the world. It's scary to talk about abortion and write about it. But I think the encouragement of my editor, maybe a little, a little bit informed by spirit really did give me that nudge to say, no, I, I, I can write a whole book about what it means to create spaces for people who have more complex stories about their abortions than the ones that we typically hear. And that is what I set out to do. And you were one of the early people I talked to about this as I was as I was shifting. So I'm really grateful for your partnership in that because our conversations really did shape the way that I thought about it. Um, and I knew that I wanted it to be a storytelling book because I'm someone who has not experienced abortion. And I knew it wouldn't be right for me to center my own story in a book like that or to talk about it abstractly. So it really is about centering the experiences of people who have had abortions, who were brave enough and 
generous enough to talk to me about it. So do you mind giving like a brief synopsis or the the elevator pitch of your book just so that our listeners know what it's about and how it's structured? Yes. The book is a response to what I find really problematic in the binary of pro-choice, pro-life and the way abortion is talked about in these talking points, culture wars kind of way and create space for us to really see the full humanity of the people who have abortions to honor their individual circumstances and also how their lives are connected to these systems of oppression and their lack of access of certain services that informed their decision Mm -hmm. and really create space to talk about their complicated feelings about their abortions. And even so that, just because we have contradictory emotions about a big decision that we've made in our life, whatever it is, whether it's abortion or not, that doesn't mean it was the wrong decision. It just means it was a fully human experience. Mm -hmm. And my hope is that it'll help us just get some practice and how to receive stories that we might not feel like we understand at first, but by creating space to hear them with compassion that we can respond differently to people who come to us or just to the topic in general. Yeah. It's never abstract. It's always a deeply human, deeply personal experience. Yeah, I totally agree. So something I was curious about as I was reading the book, um, especially as I was reading the stories themselves, was that over the course of writing the book, you had to hold a lot of things. You mm-hmm. had to listen and hold space for the storytellers. Also, you were researching and weaving together the history of reproductive oppression and injustice in the U.S., which is often a really terrible history, and it feels very personal. I know from my perspective, reading and immersing myself in the history of this stuff is really hard. Mm -hmm. You also had to think and write about the oppressive, coercive, and violent tactics of the anti-abortion movement. That in itself is a lot, but you were also doing this during the first six months, the hardest six months maybe of the pandemic in 2020, while you were also working full-time leading RCRC, your daughter was homeschooling, your husband was also working from home. And I'll just say from the sidelines, it was obviously a hard time for you, um, just from where I was sitting. And Folks might remember our episode last year called Making Our Way Through Burnout, which we recorded, you know, after you had written your book. Mm -hmm. I imagine that every writing process is stressful, but yours in particular included elements of secondary traumatic stress and compassion fatigue. And if people don't know what those are, we covered all in our burnout episode. You can go back and listen. So I was wondering, was this something you were prepared for going into the writing process? And how did you take care of yourself or or not even? I am having so many responses to this framing, just thinking about where I was at the time and now how I look back on it, because the me of 2020 in hearing someone articulate that would say, wow, like, look at what I was managing. Look at how amazing I was that I was mm. doing all of that. And now I don't want to say that I feel shame But I feel some sadness for Mm. myself that I took this on at that time. I mean, obviously now I'm I'm glad. Yeah. But I wouldn't recommend it to my past self. um, Yeah. Makes sense. Like, yeah, it does. It it, in some way. Well, I don't want to paint it in a in a one dimensional way. 
I think that in some ways it was really helpful for me to have a project that felt like it was for me. It was not running my organization, although there was a lot of overlap. It was a project that was generative. It was a project that was collaborative at a time when we were all very isolated, where I I got to set aside time to 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 build something at a time when it felt like everything else was being broken down. So in that way, it was wonderful to have that focus. And at the same time, I only had six months to write it. Mm-hmm. And that was very fast for me, especially given everything else that I had on. One thing that was amazing, and this was a gift from Spirit, is I had a, a college student named Rose Miller who was looking to do an internship that summer. And mm. she reached out to me. I think she might have reached out to you as well. And I said, would you be my research assistant? Will you do some of the work? Because I knew I could not consume all of that anti-abortion literature. And so I said, could you, would you be the one to do that for me? Will you read through this and pull what I need to know from these books so that I don't have to consume all of, all of this rhetoric? So mm-hmm. I'm really thankful that I had her because she, she did a lot of that labor for me so that I didn't have to, to, I could spend my emotional labor and energy on the storytellers. Mm-hmm. And she was the one who did the emotional labor of reading the rhetoric and helping me make sense of it all. So that was definitely something that I I didn't plan for, but that worked out really well for me in terms of caring for myself. But I think that I was so focused on making sure that the storytellers were okay and that I was doing a good job that I really didn't think about the impact that those conversations had on me. And And since that time to where we are now, and again, we have a whole episode about this. It might have been the burnout one where I talk about like understanding my own trauma, how I got involved in this work. Mm-hmm. I realize now that I'm very empathic. Now I've learned after a conversation about abortion or abortion stories, like how to take care of myself after. But I honestly didn't even know that I needed to be doing that because here is the person who's telling me this difficult part of their life and I'm centering them and their well-being while really neglecting my own. So I can't remember specifically, but I imagine I was really numbed out after some of those days because I interviewed 19 people over the course of like a month or so. It was really intense. Um, So I I definitely have learned in that since that time. And even every conversation I have about the book, I often will get a story because people want to share. So I'm learning even now how to manage my own energy around it, even while like wanting to be that compassionate person that I'm telling everybody else to be. It's both. Yeah. I really appreciate your honesty around this because, you know, we've talked about how little preparation folks in our activism sphere have to actually deal with the the secondary trauma that comes from the type of work that we do, but also that, you know, being so focused on centering the storytellers, I think is a really good example of how uh, we sometimes don't allow ourselves because someone else, someone else's story is taking center stage right now, or Mm -hmm. someone else's situation is worse or more difficult or challenging or more immediate than ours. We don't um, give ourselves permission to care for ourselves in that way. And, um, you know, as we've talked about a lot, that's so damaging, especially if what we're, you know, our ultimate goal is to stay in engaged in the work 
and stay in it for the long haul or even just to stay engaged in life. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's just so, so necessary. So I, I really appreciate you talking about that because it would have been so easy to just be like, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't need any any self-care through it. It was so easy. You know what I mean? It'd be so right. easy to talk about it like that. And it's so easy when you have the finished product that is yeah. polished and edited mm. and, you know, you look at it and go, oh, wow. But like really remembering what the process was like. And I do want to be honest about this with people because I think it's like really important for people to understand, especially in a topic like this, how difficult it is. Because what I'm asking pe- the reader to do is not easy. And it wasn't even yep. easy for me as someone who's steeped in this work day in and day out. So I just want to recognize that I'm still learning too and evolving. And to your last point, I think that might be my next writing project in terms of like, how do we care for ourselves and activists in the movement? Like, I think that that Mm -hmm. might be my next project because I think we need resources around exactly just that. What, what, regardless of our personal experiences, just doing this work, like we need compassion for ourselves and each other too. Yep. That was a hundred percent. One of the last strategic planning things I did with Faith and Women before I left was to center our work in community care and resilience. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get us too off track, but I've been thinking about this topic a lot, and I'd like to maybe come back to it on another episode. But something that I have been thinking a lot about lately, when we talk about resilience, is how we've been making it all about personal resilience. When we talk about it in the larger culture, it's all about how I as an individual can care for myself, steal myself, guard myself, set up boundaries to stay resilient, ultimately in service of more productivity. So when we've got foundations, uh, funders that are really centered on resilience, it's about how do we keep all of these people in the work and yeah. I'm I'm really feeling strongly, I mean, as someone who just took a voluntary step out of the work to really think about and explore what what is resilience, I'm really thinking about it as more of a community care mm-hmm. and less about personal resilience, although that's part of it, but more about how are we caring for our communities yes. in this work. So and I know that was a tangent, but um, I think that's really worth digging into more, maybe on another episode. I completely agree. I don't think it was a tangent at all. Yeah. So I'll get back to some other questions I have, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. So one thing you point out in your book is that just because we think we don't know anyone who's had an abortion, that does not mean it's true. It just Mm -hmm. means that no one has told us their story. That was certainly true for me. Before I started working in the abortion rights space, I knew friend of a friend type stories of people who'd had abortions, but I didn't think I knew anyone personally who'd had one. And I shared about that on our last episode. But once I started working with faith and women and people realized that I was a safe person to talk to, the stories just started coming even from the unlikeliest of places. People I never would have imagined that I had known for years were telling me some of their most personal private stories around abortion. And I've learned that the, those personal stories and the people who share them are some of the holiest and most powerful tools we have for building connection and compassion in our movement. Every story is different. Every story changes my perspective and opens my heart just a little bit more. And one example from your book 
that I was just reading last night is Kawanda's story. Mm, I love her. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't have favorites, but she really, she really touched my heart. Yeah, that came across in the book for sure. And the chapter that you wrote on young people using judicial bypass to get past the parental notification laws to access abortion, I'm so glad that you included this aspect. By the way, I don't think it's something we talk about enough, uh, young people's agency and human rights, essentially, mm-hmm. um, when it comes to abortion. But Kawanda's story and the way she tells it is just so beautiful. And this is the part that struck me. I'll read just a little bit. She said, I have to talk about my abortion experience all the time. Otherwise, I let others talk about my experience for me. She wrote in a piece for Blavity.com, my journey to have an abortion and care for myself strengthened my relationship with God and showed me how personal and intimate religion truly is. From my faith and my abortion, I know firsthand that abortion is a blessing. It is a blessing for parents, families, and all people. And I know the life I love so much today, a life where I am more deeply connected to my family, my community, and my God than ever would have been impossible without it. Like you mentioned in our last episode, abortion as a blessing is a very challenging perspective for a lot of people. And I'm wondering, even as someone who has heard many abortion stories, How were you shaped by listening to these specific stories and retelling them? Yeah, just I got chills rehearing Kawanda's words because she is an incredible young person and I just have so much love for her and for all of the people who shared their stories with me. I think that even as someone who has heard abortion stories, giving people a full hour to talk about the whole context of their abortion and and really to get into the details of it all and mm-hmm. talk about their feelings and the, the the spirituality they experienced. I learned so much. And I realized that even though I've heard a lot of stories and I've been in this work for a long time, there are still so many stories I haven't heard or kinds of stories that I haven't heard. And there are so many reasons why a person needs to have an abortion. Like it is Yep. We couldn't even list them all. It is just as individual as our own lives. There's yep. overlap, but there's just so much that's so um like into the minutia of someone's life and and really recognizing how life-threatening pregnancy can be for people yeah. in the broadest sense of the term. Um recognizing how much people struggle with severe mental health as a result of the of the chemical like the biochemistry of pregnancy can mm-hmm. can cause people to have all kinds of like debilitating depression. Like, I think I knew that, but hearing it from people and spell it out in such a way, I felt like my heart was opened more and I became more compassionate and open to the different kinds of experiences that people have. So again, I'm asking the reader to do the thing that I did, which is to just open your heart, be be open to someone's experience. And if you create that space, you will be amazed mm-hmm. at how much you will learn and be changed and shifted and your mind and heart opened wide by just listening to someone's story and hearing something that you might never have considered is a person's reality. And each of those people represent many, many other people who have something similar that's happened to them. 
So I feel like it really regrounded me and why I got involved in this work to start. And that was something yeah. I had lost touch with, to be perfectly frank. As a CEO, it's it's not about the personal stories of people who've had abortion oftentimes. And I was really hungry for that. And I think that's why Spirit brought this project to me at the time, because I needed to remember why I got started in the work. So I'm really yeah. grateful for all of these people reconnecting me to my purpose and what I feel like I'm here to do. Wow. Yeah. So I have one last question, and that is, what are your hopes for this book, especially given the political moment that we are currently living in? It's taken me a while to get to the place of hoping anything about the book. I mean, it's so logistical and Without going into the details, my first book was a challenge for a lot of reasons. And so I think I've been hesitant to have dreams about what this one could be. And I didn't know when I started writing it that we were going to be in this moment that we're in with the Supreme Court, you know, making a decision sometime this summer about the fate of reproductive rights in this country. But uh, I think that it was divinely timed. I think this is a book that we need right now. I really do believe in it um, in a large part because of the storytellers and their willingness to share I think that this is, I hope that people who want to be thoughtful about abortion or are struggling to think about how they might respond to whatever the Supreme Court decides or whatever is going on in your particular state, I hope that this can be a resource and and learning to first examine your own internalized abortion stigma Mm -hmm. and beliefs about it, because doing that work will equip you to respond with compassion in ways that are helpful to the people who are going to need your help. So I hope it's a preparatory read, an inspiring read, an encouraging read as we kind of look to the future, because it's going to be a long, the work is going to be long ahead of us. And I hope that this book kind of grounds us in the humanity of it all. And, And that just as you were saying about community care, abortion is about community care. It's not about individual mm-hmm. people on their own trying to figure this out. It is about how we can come together to make sure that everybody has access to whatever reproductive decision they want to make. So that's my hope, is that this will just ground us in that reality and and open our hearts and and listen to the people who are most impacted by abortion to tell us what they need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for being so open and willing to share with our listeners your journey of writing this book. One of my hopes for our conversation today is that you would feel like you could maybe say things here that you couldn't necessarily say in other interviews, other places. And I hope that that was true. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to say before we close out? I just want to express my gratitude for having this space. Of course, I would want to talk about this on the show and to share Mm -hmm you know, a different part of it, which is like the human, the human part of writing a book like this one. And just to go back to what I've tried to say throughout this conversation, which is this book is not about telling you that you've been doing anything wrong. It's about us being on a journey together of just trying to treat each other with more kindness and compassion around a topic that has been so shaming and stigmatizing for so many people. Like we really can turn the tide on this. I really do believe that. And so- please take it as an invitation to be in partnership with us as we're all trying to figure this out um, and have compassion for yourself too. Yeah. So there's one last bit that has stayed with me from your book. It's 
something else Kawanda says toward the end of her story. She says, God is so tired of what is holding us in chains. And I couldn't agree more. I'm writing that down and putting it somewhere that I can see it often. I hope our listeners read your book and I hope it helps loosen the chains of reproductive oppression and shame and abortion stigma just that much more for all of us. So thank you so much for talking about this today. And that's it for this episode. I hope everyone will come back next time. We've been planning our next episode and we'll be going back in time and talking about what it was like for us growing up and being young people in church. I'm not sure that's something we've really explicitly talked about before. Some of it was good. Some of it was not so good. And this kind of feels like an old school kindred's topic. I think it'll be fun. Maybe we can do a what we're reading and listening to next time too. Yeah. We haven't done that in a while. That would be fun. Kind of a throwback yeah. episode. That yeah. sounds delightful. Yeah. I can't wait to do that. That'll be it fun. It does. Yeah, me too. After 2021 was full of interviews with people and I think it feels good to get back to old school conversations that we like to have. Yeah, that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I yeah. will talk to you then. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 